Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 92 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr Ian Glenday back on the show with us today to further our conversation on Lean RFS. If you haven't already, check out our first part of our discussion in show 91. Let's get into the episode. So Ian, what we're talking about, to put things into perspective, if listeners haven't listened to part one, is the concepts of levelling, how to create more even flow and get rid of a lot of the unevenness out of our operations, at least in our key manufacturing items using the Glenday sieve. We're talking about changeovers and different techniques there. Standard routines and qualities, you know, I think, unfortunately, what we're talking about, even though it is a very sexy thing, I think it's beautiful. It's not seen that way by many people. You know, it's a baseline of leveling and quality that every operation, no matter where it is, requires. You know, it's a foundation for excellence. But a lot of people, for some reason, don't focus on it. I think either they're too busy and they feel they don't have time to do it because they're fighting fires, or also they see they want to go off and do other improvements, you know, different techniques and efforts that ultimately are going to fall over if they don't have this stability in place. Well, the other thing is this goes against so much that manufacturing, particularly manufacturing people and supply chain think, you know, to, to them, smaller batches, more changeovers can't possibly lead to an improvement. You know, it, it's bigger batches, less changeovers. That's what makes us more efficient. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the same time as you've just doubled the number of products you make. Right? Mm. <laughs> and, and the you've got to sympathize with them because they're really struggling they've got this complete you know paradox of we want long runs more less changeovers and you keep shoveling more products on us yeah how the hell are we supposed to cope with that you know yeah i know and it's this this mindset you know this this conventional wisdom you know economic order quantities is still what's being teached in the universities for goodness sake you know and the all these certification programs for supply chain planners and what have you. Yeah. It just goes so against the norm, right? Yeah. Now, let me, <laughs> if I may, jump in again, right? You said earlier on, you know, about do I even get it that, that people say, Ian, you don't understand our business. You know, we're different, right? You won't understand, right? absolutely get that all the time and the bit i really get is you don't understand our customers you don't understand our demand you know we can't possibly do this because our demand is so variable it's all over the place right yeah i I do a lot of work with breweries right and this every single brewery i've been in and every single brewery of a particular brewery like carlsberg right i must have done 20 carlsberg sites yeah and every time I go, oh, Ian, you don't understand it. I'm a bloody microbiologist, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I 
qualified in about fermentation and what have you. Ah, no, but what you don't understand, you know, is our customers, you know, when the sun shines, oh, my God, the sales go through the roof. You know, and Christmas, don't even talk to me about Christmas. You know? I said, OK, first of all, let's look at the data. Right? Yes. No need to do that. I've told you already. Let's look at the data. Right? With it okay. in the Carlsberg, what, what is it that they say to you that they um, it can't be done here? What do okay. you find out of that? The, the, the perception is, you know, in a lot of companies, but particularly in like Carlsberg breweries, is that the the sales vary tremendously. The sun shines, the beer sales go through the roof, right? And you can understand their perception, perception, because, you know, sun shines, everybody's out in the beer gardens, having a pint, you know, having fun, right? Get the barbie out, let's go, right? And the unit volume, does vary hugely, right? But what they forget is what you need to look at is the percent variability, not the unit variability. So the biggest volume product, you know, yes, you may have very, you know, thousands of cases different, right, when the sun shines. But if you actually do the analysis as a percent variability, very often, in fact, most of the time, that percent variability is very small, mm. like plus or minus 10%. Now, you may have seasonality, right? You know, you sell more in, in the UK, you sell more in the summer. I guess in Australia, it's the other way around, right? Yeah. <laughs> but seasonality is understood, right? It's a known factor. Christmas. Mm. Sales go through the roof. Yes, but you know when Christmas is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's exactly this. I referred earlier about you know consultant surgeons in hospitals, right? When we when we did this in accident and emergency, they said, Ian, it's accident and emergency. It's not predictable. Let's look at the numbers, right? <laughs> and when we identified the six percent of you know things that people present with. It was 50% of the people. And when we actually analyzed the variability that we could we could right forecast the next broken leg to within 20 minutes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was that predictable. Yeah. Now, if you take the hospital case, I'm not saying the presentation on a Friday night was the same as the Thursday morning. Mm. But every Thursday morning was very similar. Every Friday night was very similar. Right? Yeah, there'd be a few but, more nose and cheekbones on a Friday <laughs> night, I guess. Exactly. So the perception is that the, the, the sales are highly variable. When you study the data as a percent variability, it's surprisingly static, right? Mm. Now, I have, I have lots of little expressions, but one I really love, which I use at this point, is... If enough people say the same thing enough times in a company, it becomes a fact. Nobody studies the data, right? Mm. So when everybody says our sales are all over the place, right? It's a fact, yeah? I have not come across a company yet, right? And I've done hundreds where when you actually analyze the variability of the greens, right? It's unbelievably stable, right? Mm unbelievably stable which means right if you 
take, like, say, over an eight-week period, you're going to hold this fixed plan. Traditional planning tries to follow the forecast, and you'll have a different forecast every week. Yeah? Yeah. So they're trying to follow that forecast, which is another factor with economic order quantity. They're bringing the variability. They're trying to plan to a different target every week. Mm. If you add up those eight weeks of forecast, divide them by eight, and make exactly the same every week, right? that number will be very accurate. But what you then need to do is put in place a little buffer tank right? around the known variability of sales. So you allow the finished goods inventory to float within those limits. It's exactly the same as most of your you know, viewers will know statistical process control. It's exactly yeah. the same as statistical process control. If it's floating within the limits, leave the damn thing alone. <laughs> Just let yeah. it flow along. And the buffer tank will absorb the variability of actual sales right, without breaking the limits. Meanwhile, you can continue to produce exactly the same every week. Right? Yeah, in that construction. Yeah, you know. And the planners get, you know, fixated, you know. Oh, my God, we've got to look at the inventory every week. Oh, my God, it might, it's getting near the limits. It's exactly the same as statistical process control. The worst operator with statistical process control is the most conscientious. The one who wants to keep fiddling with the machine. Yeah. Not realizing they're upsetting the settings, right? And it's the same with this. The planner that, you know, oh, it's a little bit near the limit. We better change the plan. No, leave it alone. Because if you oversell this week, the chances are you will undersell a bit next week mm-hmm. and vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. Because we human beings love routines, right? We love habits. The biggest volume products is being bought by more or less the same people every week in more or less the same quantities. And they, they average out, yeah? Yeah, yeah that's such so a neat thing. If somebody puts an extra packet of toilet rolls in their shopping cart this week, that means next week they won't need to buy toilet rolls because they bought extra this week. Well, we've, I don't know if you've seen that in the UK, but we certainly saw that with COVID in Australia. Supermarkets, oh. the bullwhip effect on toilet paper was crazy. Yes. I don't know what everyone thought was going to happen, but it was crazy. Yeah, um, amazing. So, Ian, if I summarise. Sorry. Oh, sorry. So this, these to me are like pieces of a jigsaw. You know, you've got to have the fix. You've got to have the, the fixed pack. You've got to, first of all, understand what is your sick percent, mm. 50%. Put that into a fixed pattern. Then look at this actual sales variability as a percent, right, and realize it's not that big. Then put a buffer tank around that so as you allow the stocks to flow. That then gives you stability. Mm. Yeah, in a very simple, smart way. In there's one part of the book. There's, we've spoken about changeover and, and yeah. the beautiful things that can start happening with changeover where you do this too, because you can plan ahead and you can get some sort of stand to it, structure to it. The piece I wanted to talk to you about was, I think it's the element of getting good at root cause analysis and machine reliability. You mentioned this in the book. Do you mind covering that aspect and the importance of that to get that stability too with Lean RFS? <laughs> okay. Yeah, you keep asking big questions, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I've been a fan for a long time. It's yeah, right. Um, 
there's really two parts to that. The, the, the first part is, you know, if you're doing the changeovers, for instance, you know, at the same time all the time, even though the shifts are changing, you can get standards in place for the changeover much more better because they realize it's always, you know, 10 o'clock on a Wednesday and this is how we do it, right? And you can have CI people there to check that they're doing it according to the right way, right? Whereas typically you get, you know, a CI person, I'm going to come down and check that you're doing the changeover right, comes down to the shop floor, right, ready for the changeover. Oh, we did that an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the plan changed, we've done that, right? So the, the, the routines, the stability creates one level of uh, uh, getting better, right? And with changeovers, the significance of changeovers isn't how long it takes to do the changeover, it's how long it takes to ramp up, right? Mm -hmm. Because all the settings have changed and therefore it takes quite a time for the machine to get back running nice and smoothly again, right? And it's during that time that the machines are likely to get worn, you know, damaged etc cetera, etc cetera. so the sooner you can click into log into the, the the best settings the right settings the less wear you're giving to those machines if you keep adjusting it while it's running you're going to wear the machine out right which leads to breakdowns now the second aspect which is not directly linked to the fixed cycle in the greens right but it's something i passionately believe in the, what a lot of engineers and improvement people look at is they analyze the biggest losses on the line, right? And they'll do a Pareto curve, you know, an 80-20 curve of what are the biggest losses. And, you know, the, the obvious logic is if we study the biggest losses, then that will give us the biggest improvement. Absolute bullshit, right? <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Because the biggest losses are when the damn thing breaks down. Right. Mm. You know, the chain breaks, the clutch goes, you know, mm. whatever. Right. And and then it's down for hours whilst they fix it. Right. That is not the root cause. That's got nothing to do with the root cause in my book. What's happening on most lines is that they're built, they're deliberately built to cover up small stops. So what I mean by that is they'll be like, um, what are they called? Accumulation tables. Right. Mm. You know, so that if one bit of the line stops, the, the whole line won't stop. It will just accumulate product and then it off it will go again. Right. The whole point is like it's literally built to cover up the small stops. Right. And these get no attention because the operators have to deal with the small stops, a jam here, a you know, lock plate there, whatever sort of thing. So they, they never get any attention. And actually, people don't realize just how many short stops are happening. So if you've got a fully automated line with maybe six or seven machines, right, you know, in a sequence, you're running at, you know, I don't know, 200 units an hour or whatever, probably half a minute rather, right? Mm. In my experience, on average, one of those machines is stopping every six minutes, right? But only for less than a minute. And because the line is built to cover it up, people don't realize. People are horrified when they realize just how many short stops are happening on the line, right? Mm. Because they're covered up. Once you start getting to those, now in my view, the short stop, the machine stops because it's jammed, the operator unjams it, takes out the crushed carton, right? Presses the start button. If you're press, if that machine is stopping and you're pressing the start button, right? Several times an hour, 
right? That's putting the strain on the gearboxes, the clutches, the chains. Mm. Oh, what were the things that broke down? <laughs> yeah. The gearboxes, the clutches and the chains, right? Because it's the stopping and starting that puts the strain on them, that wears them, right? Mm. So the focus should be on short stops, yeah? Identifying the short stops. Oh, and by the way, if you start eliminating the short stops, guess what? The operator is going to be a lot, lot happier. Right? Mm. This is what drives them crazy. Yeah? Yeah. So for me, one of the key measures on a line, an automated line, should be mean time between short stops. Yeah. So I said, you know, typically when you start measuring that, it's like six minutes. There's a short stop somewhere on the line every six minutes. If you can get that up to 12 minutes, right? So there's still a short stop every 12 minutes. That's still six times an hour. Yeah. That line, I guarantee you, will jump in efficiency by at least 20%. Mm. Yeah. At least. Wow. And you'll have happier operators. Yeah. It's an old saying, sweat the small things and the big things won't happen, isn't it? It's What yeah. you're saying is sweat those small things and the short stops that's making the machine stop start which I guess is about understanding the root cause or what is exactly causing that and get that gone so it doesn't, it disappears, you error-proof it. What I like is simple uh, tick sheets, you know, tick sheets where you've got a, a very simple schematic of the line. You say to the operator, just put a cross wherever the line stops. I don't want any explanations. You know, I, I don't need anything. You know, I hate these logs where they have to write down what I am, a load of rubbish. Fine. Just a simple check sheet, just put a cross. And when you come back, because of the Glenday sieve, you know, I guarantee you, 50% yeah. right, of the crosses will be only on 6% of the, 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 the bits of machine, right? Yeah. So that then gives you a bloody good idea. Then your CI and engineers can get their high-speed cameras and all that sort of gear onto that critical point to start discovering what is it that's causing the jam. Yeah. That's such a smart call, Ian, because so many people spend so much time get, trying to get these massive logs, but either they, they don't trust the data because they don't feel it's being filled out correctly, or they don't actually get around to looking at it, where it's like, no, just use the Glendale SID thinking, look for the crosses, and then go investigate further once you know once you know where it's occurring. And potentially yeah. the operator just knows anyway, because it's just like, go see, and okay, well, what is the main one that's causing all your stops around here? Oh, it's this, 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 this. Okay. Very, still. The other thing to remember is very often where the short stop appears isn't where the root cause is. You yes. Know, you know, well, what's happening is, you know, up there, there's a, there's a, a dead patch, right? So the bottles come over a, a small dead patch and then they start wobbling. Yeah. Mm. And if they're not close together, there's a gap, that bottle that's wobbling will fall over. Yeah, that's it. What a great episode. Remember, you can go to our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of a Glenday sieve I did many years ago after reading Ian's book, Lean RFS. Please like, subscribe and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. Because like they're just covering up the problems, you know, and, and the sort of, Normal thinking of like engineers, well, the short stops don't matter. It's the big stops that matter. It's the short stops that are causing the big stops, you bloody idiot. You know? Yeah, yeah.
and often we're not even capturing data around the short stops, so we don't know really how much or what is actually there in the short stops. You know, it's, no, 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 no. That's, that's really cool. Watch out. Um, you just reminded me with Philip Morris. Philip Morris, uh, you know, cigarette manufacturers, right? Yeah. They're they're, they're very uh, automated, and um, they have um, uh, what the link ups. That's it, link ups, right? So a link up is all the the thing needed to take the raw tobacco all the way through to the finished case, all in a like a cell. Yeah, yeah. another one about cells. It's all linked up together. That's why they call link ups, right? And when they yeah. first started, it was an absolute nightmare because one machine would stop, would stop the whole bloody line. So they put in even more accumulation than everything else than most companies. And they put in very sophisticated um, recording systems to record all stops. Yeah. When I went to them, you know, first of all, I like, no, hate this now. And they said, look, we've done all the analysis and these are all the major stops. And I said, but what about the short stops? Well, we don't bother with those, they're only short stops. I said, but does your wonderful system that records all stops, does it record the short stops as well and where they happen? Oh yeah, but it's a massive data. You know, we don't look at that. Well, the clue is it's a massive data, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when they went and analyzed it and I said, you know, I tell you, I got, you know, I, I estimate, on average, every six minutes, one of those machines is stopping. No way, no way, none whatsoever. And the head of engineering came back after about half a day, said, I've done the analysis. He said, it's not six minutes, with us it's four. <laughs> he said, oh my God, he said, have we missed a trick here? Yeah. He said, but the good news is we've got the data, we just now need to start analysing it. <laughs> yeah. And I really, I really heard that theme throughout this episode. And, you know, the old saying in data, we trust the rest we don't. But I'm also getting the sense from you that data can be captured quite simply also. Like you mentioned, give give an operator a schematic and just get them to put a cross where yeah. the short stop happens each time it happens. Like in yeah. some cases, you can do it so simply. And in other cases, you'll have your sales data, so you can do a blend day sieve really easy and see the yeah. data. Yeah, it's amazing. It's not, and the thing with the Glendale servers that, you know, I, I say it's always 6%, it might be 7%, it might be 5%. I mean, it's like, hey, might be 1%. I've seen that. 1%. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. And uh, the particular company was, I don't know if you have them in Australia, Arla, the dairy, Danish dairy company. Uh, yeah, yeah, we do have some of their products come in, but I think it's mainly imported and distributed, yeah. I think. Anyway, I was presenting to their senior management right, in Denmark, and we had the, the data, the raw data, so I got them to do it, and it, it came out at less than 1%, was 50% of the volume of greens. I mean, I've never seen that before. And then I went, oh, my goodness, what's it like at the other end? <laughs> yeah. So typically, 30% of the products at the other end will be just 1% of the sales. 30% right? of your products, 1% of the sales. They did the, you know, I quickly looked it up, right? 55% of their products was less than 1% of their sales, and they didn't know it. Wow. Wow. And I said, when you've had time to assess this, give me a call and I'll come back. I never got the call. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I've seen I've seen that extreme before to myself, and yeah, it was unbelievable. But it's I love the conversation, and I love what you've done with Lean RFS because it just simplifies the whole approach so much. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to be able to make major outcomes because I think from a planning and scheduling point of view, I really believe the saying crap in crap out applies. Yeah. If you just pump in chaos and total variability in, you're going to get crap out. But if you take what you've written and think about what you've done throughout your career and apply it to get the gains, you're going to have calmness and steady flow in a structured, you know, pattern product style way. You can then split your green and red and have a different approach for those, but go the structure yeah. on the green. You can then be planning for your changeovers. You can be then thinking more calmly about your, um, you know, your routines, your challenges, your short stops, as you spoke about. But I also understand Ian, that you can then really start to plan in the maintenance you need to do also, because you've got a structure to be able to give those maintenance teams access at certain times, which is yeah. often what the maintenance team's biggest pain is, is that I can't get access to the machine to look after it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I certainly, when I've run implementation workshops, where, you know, I say to people, you know, what's your preventative maintenance like? Preventative maintenance don't make me laugh. <laughs> we yeah. fix it when it breaks. Okay. Yeah. So do you know what your preventative maintenance task should be? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had consultants coming and do that for us, right? Okay. So let's run a workshop. Let's have a, a team doing the Glenday Civ to your preventative maintenance. Yes. Let's identify the 6% of the preventative maintenance task that's going to give you the 50% of the benefit. Lube and oil? Sorry? Lube and oil? Yeah. Well, it depends, right? But the point is, so you can analyze where do you get all your big breakdowns, which of the preventative maintenance tasks would help to prevent that, lube and oil maybe. So we're going to do a little exercise. We're going to put that 6% of the preventative maintenance task in the production schedule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you get 50% of the benefit from that, the line's going to run better. That means you've got more capacity. That means you start bringing more of those preventative maintenance tasks in. Yeah. It's a virtuous circle. I know. And I knew this was going to be a cracking conversation <laughs> and it's been everything and more than what I thought it would be. Mate, with, with, Yourself, what would be your two-minute tip to all the organisations, people from organisations all over the world listening to the episode? What would be your two-minute enterprise excellence tip in this area of expertise? Okay. I would say to senior management, right, put a simple chat sheet in place, right, to identify how many times the plan actually changes per week you will be shocked, right? Because they don't know that the plan changes are going on, right? So first of all, put a simple check sheet in. So every time the plan changes, you want the planner to put a little cross, right? Then you can start analyzing those crosses as to who's actually you know, initiating those crosses. And the perception is it's the customer. It's all to do with the customer. You change because of the customer, because of the demand. I will guarantee you right, that the majority of those changes comes from production and your own supply chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
those are in your control. The line's broken down. Right? The supplier didn't deliver on time. Well, the bloody supplier, bang him on the head. No, no, we changed what we wanted from the supplier six times, <laughs> and then he didn't deliver what we wanted. <laughs> you know? yeah. Understand the amount of variability that's actually happening inside your, your own organization. Right? Because that's where you need to start. Mm. Yeah. Variability is the killer. Yeah. And if it's inside your own organization, it should be in your own control. Yeah, that's neat. That's awesome. You, you'll clearly see it just by doing that simple approach. And it's a similar approach to what you said with short stops and the same thing again. That's neat. Ian, what's been a recent insight for you, mate? What's been something that you've learned recently that you didn't know before? Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. I'm not, I, I haven't got one that I didn't know before. I've got one that continues to amaze me, yeah? And that is every company that approaches me or starts to talk to me and I, you know, talk about, have you got this problem? Do you change the plan, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It always is the case. Short-term plan changes is endemic in manufacturing companies. It's endemic in hospitals. It's endemic in just about any organization that you go into, right? And how, you know, how they failed to appreciate, I mean, let's do a sideline a minute, you know, huge thing, Six Sigma, huge industry, Six Sigma, right? And it's all about identifying the variabilities of the machine, right? And what really makes me laugh about Six Sigma people is they don't realize the biggest variability of all is the planning system. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <the machines. laughs> you know. So, you know, I've been doing this all my life, right? I'm now 69 years old. I don't see it stopping anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> the opportunity is just so big. Oh, and, and that's why I had to get you on the show, Ian, because I, I, yeah, I'm seeing it like a pandemic of variability in, in a factory and operations the same. You know, it's just so everywhere. And yeah. so thank you because people being able to listen to this episode and learn from it, you know, they can it, they can gain so much because they can take so much of the noise out of their business and create a level of stability and structure that can then have an excellence journey built on. But yeah. without that structure and standard and that leveling approach, they're building on quicksand. And um, mate, I think it's tough. Right now, we are Australia, aren't we? Well, yeah. it, it, it spreads around, but yeah, yeah. it's the world so, of the internet and podcasters everywhere, well, yeah. but predominantly Australia. The people to remember, right? You've got the greens and the reds, and as much as possible, you're trying to separate the greens from the reds. You know, mm. the lines they're made on, the people, the planning, this, everything, right? Because if your child mixes the green paint, and the red paint in their paint box. Do you know what colour they get? Green and red. Is it is it a black? No, it's brown. Brown, okay. Shitty. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mix the green and red. <laughs> yeah. Split them either across different machines or different days of the week, like you said, and 
and link in the right reds off the back of the greens to give yourself that flow from it if you need it. Yeah, that's great. And I really appreciate the knowledge. I really appreciate the time. I've learned through the episode, even though I've read your book so many times throughout my career and watched a short uh, summary video I did of my I did of myself, which I watched before our episode again. I did of your book, I should say. I did a quick summary years ago that I keep watching all the time. Um, but Ian, how can people reach out to you to connect, learn more into the future? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Okay, well, hopefully you can give them this in some follow up with the, the podcast is my email address is ian at repetitive flexible supply dot com. Right. So that's all one word, repetitive flexible supply. Should be able to remember that because it's like RFS, right? Yeah. <laughs> so my email, Ian at repetitive flexible supply dot com, my webpage, www.repetitiveflexiblesupply.com. Right. And You've mentioned the book a few times, so if people really want to, you know, understand it, the book is Lean RFS, right? Putting the pieces together, and obviously available on Amazon. Mm. Easy yeah. read. Yeah, I think we we're talking before the before the episode, and like it's a book I couldn't put down. Mm. You know, you and Rick wrote it really well. It, it's one of not you don't often get that with a excellence based book. So well done, mate. Thank you. Thank you. And well, thank you, mate. Thanks for everything you have done and thanks for everything you continue to do to help us learn and create a better future, mate. I really appreciate your time. No problem. Enjoyed it. Always love talking about RFS. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ian, mate. Okay, cheers. Cheers. Speak again. What a great episode. Remember, you can go to our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of a Glenday sieve I did many years ago after reading Ian's book, Lean RFS. Please like, subscribe and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. Firstly, the Glenday sieve. What a simple way to analyse your operation and find the high, mid and low volume items. From this, you can look at the variability of demand and make decisions on how to improve. As Ian mentioned, this approach can be applied to any organisation from manufacturing to hospitals. I have personally found the Glenday sieve takes all the complexity out of an environment. It is a great starting point to enable you to see the forest for the trees. The second key takeaway for me was Ian's discussion on reliability, using simple tools such as a plotting chart for operators to show where a failure occurs. This really goes back to the saying, keep it simple, stupid. Using simple approaches to engage with frontline team members, gather data, and lead improvement together. Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Ian. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Bye for now.